Well, if you've been with us at all this year, you know that our theme is, why does it matter? And throughout this entire year, we are just exploring various facets of that question. And we are looking at different topics, asking the question, why do they matter in particular? And so for August, our theme is the supernatural. Why does it matter? As I shared with y'all last Sunday, which is when we began this, this leg of the journey, I shared with you what I, what I meant by the supernatural. And what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit of God at work in this world. <clears throat> and that's what I want us to reflect on during this season as we have this conversation about <clears throat> the supernatural. You remember... Um, we talked several weeks ago <clears throat> about how our culture today has a hard time believing that there's anything transcendent that's real. You remember I shared with you that image that some folks have used that describe our world as having two stories in a house. You remember that? And that second story is the transcendent reality. That first story is just what we all see and experience. And there are many people in the American culture who no longer believe in that second story. They think this world is all there is. And yet they are infatu infatuated with the supernatural. It's just not necessarily are they connected to the transcendent reality of God. Well, when you read your Bible, you'll notice that the Bible is very comfortable in discussing the supernatural, the spiritual realm. In fact, it's a given when you read the scripture. It's particularly true in the gospels, the synoptic gospels. Think about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Holy Spirit, the spiritual world is just a given. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and consequently born of a virgin. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. And there he would have an encounter both with God and with Satan. Jesus will even say about himself, he will, he will appear in one of the synagogues in Nazareth and he'll say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me so that I might preach the gospel to the poor. And he quotes that messianic passage from Isaiah. And because of the anointing of the spirit, he has fulfilled it in his very person. Well, you know that during the month of August, I've asked you to read through the Gospel of John together as a church. And the daily Bible readings, you can, you can find them on the app on your phone if you have the, the church app. But you can also just go to our website, which is fbca.org, firstbaptistchurcharlington.org. And if you'll go to the tab on the top that says learn, you just click on learn, it'll give you the daily Bible readings. And I like for us to read through John together. Remember, I asked you last Sunday to take your time when you're reading John's gospel. Uh, John is one of those gospels that sometimes can be a little challenging and uh, offers a different perspective. Well, John is very much at home with the supernatural. When you read John's gospel, this week we've read through the first five pages of John and we've already encountered the work, the role of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, in John 1, very first page, um, John the Baptist says that the Spirit of God 
descended upon Jesus. And that was one of the signs for John the Baptist that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. John also talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in John chapter one. In fact, Jesus was very much at home in the supernatural world. My goodness, he's God in the flesh. In fact, John makes a note about Jesus. I don't know if you remember reading this or not, but in John 2, verse 25, John says, Jesus didn't have to ask anyone about themselves because he knew everyone and he knew what was inside of them. Y'all remember reading that? Jesus already knew. So consequently, you get to John 4, Jesus is having this conversation with a woman at the well and he says to her, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I, I know. Because Jesus was deeply connected to that spiritual realm. Well, so with that said, this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to do an analysis of John's presentation of the Holy Spirit. We have sung together these beautiful texts about the Holy Spirit this morning. The Holy Spirit breathing on us. The Holy Spirit descending upon us. Acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is actually within us as Christians. And so today, I just want us to look at some of the teaching in John's gospel because John, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John gives us direct information about the Holy Spirit straight from the teachings of Jesus, okay? So with that said, I've, been, I've entitled the message today, The Holy Spirit, Our Advocate. And it comes from, the sermon is going to come from John 14. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, I want you to look at that with me, John 14, and you'll notice if, if your Bible, the one I have with me this morning, my pulpit Bible, it's a red letter edition of the New Testament. And so these pages are just all red ink. We're, we're on the final night of the life of Jesus. And John is sharing this incredible discourse with us, this long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And it's in this text, in these pages, John 14, 15, 16, we learn so much about the Holy Spirit. So let's look at John 14. We'll just pull out a few verses. I invite you, if you're able, to stand along with me as we honor the Lord Jesus in the reading of the gospel. John 14, let's start with verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you'll realize that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is the one, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now skip down to verse 25. <clears throat> All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not 
be afraid. Let's skip down to page 15, one verse, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Here's where I want us to begin this morning. Just a reminder. And that is that the reality of the supernatural spiritual world is to be acknowledged by God's people. Me and you. We are to acknowledge and accept the truth that there is a supernatural, spiritual world. Now, this supernatural, spiritual world, as I've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, I would also remind us all this morning that the supernatural world contains, is comprised of both godly and demonic forces. In other words, there are certainly the forces of God, the spiritual power and presence of God, God's angels, God's emissaries. We believe in how real they are. But we also know there are forces of darkness at work in this world. There are demonic forces in the supernatural. And the demonic forces are at odds with everything godly, and they oppose the things of God. Now, I distinctly remember my first real encounter where I had to acknowledge demonic forces at work against what I was trying to do. As a matter of fact, it was 34 years ago this last week, and I remember it vividly. I was a young pastor in Tyler, Texas, and my church was a mission of Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler. And Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler is where I served as a mission pastor. I learned so much about missions in those days, mentored by Paul Powell. And Paul challenged me to go on mission with Green Acres. And so I went on my very first mission trip, August of 1989, to Central America, to a small nation known as Belize. Green Acres had a long history there already. As a matter of fact, they had been there for a number of years, and there was a certain part of Belize where they went every year, and they had been for 13 years, and, this, and there was a huge team going, and we divided into smaller groups and made our way throughout the country. I was nervous. I'd never been on a mission trip before, and so we land in uh, Belize, and uh, I'd never been in that type of an airport situation. It was all very new to me. And in the midst of all the chaos in this really rich, thick, South Georgia accent, I heard somebody call my name, Dennis Wiles. And I knew immediately that was my cousin Marjorie. I hadn't seen Marjorie in years. She's my Uncle Bill's daughter. And I turned around, and there I am in Belize, Central America, and there's my cousin Marjorie Frazier, on her way home from a mission trip. I had no idea she was there. She had no idea I was there. We embraced. I took that as a sign from God. Wow, what's the likelihood of me seeing Marjorie? But anyway, 
So we make our way, and, they, and, the, and the Green Acres leadership said to me, Dennis, we want you to, you're going to preach a revival at this church, and here's what we want you to know. In 13 years, there's never been one decision. It's a hard place. So I took my little team, and we traveled to that part of Belize. We had been there several days. We had services every day. We visited during the day. We had services at night. It was the next to the last night of the meeting. We had not had one decision. And so the team, small team, we were gathered in what was called the man's little parsonage and um, pitch dark, deep in the jungle, if you will, of, of Belize. And uh, all of a sudden, we had, we had a generator that ran a little light, and our team was meeting. We were praying about the next day, and we acknowledged the fact, well, there hadn't been any decisions made here. There haven't been any this time. We're not sure what God is saying about that. And uh, all of a sudden, the lights all went out. We weren't too surprised by that because that seemed to happen there. So we lit some candles and we were praying. And while we were praying, all of a sudden, a force just broke open the door to that little man's and two masked men jumped in the midst of us, grabbed one of the ladies and took a knife and put it to her throat. And I went to lunge at him and all of a sudden I noticed the other guy had a shotgun. And they spoke English somewhat and, and they said, give us all your money, all your valuables, and so they took everything from us. And then they told us, do not, do not report us or say anything to anyone or we will come back and we will take you all. And they left. And there we were sitting in that little place, unsure what to do. The pastor lived just down the road. And so I decided to go get him. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And so I went down the road, got the pastor, came back. He was mortified, embarrassed. We met, and he said, I'm going to send a messenger to the next town. There's a policeman that lives there. So they went and got him. He came back, got back to meet with us, took our statements and all that. And he was a small man. He had a little badge, had a pistol. And he looked at me, and he said, me and you, and this pastor, we're going to go find these guys. about midnight. So we jump in the pastor's van and we start driving through the countryside of Belize. And we go to these little communities where this policeman knew some of the folks. The pastor did too. Eventually about three o'clock in the morning, we found a little place, a little house. And uh, the policeman said, I believe the boys that did this have family in this house. And so we broke into their house, woke them all up. And uh, one of the ladies would not get out of the bed. And the policeman kept telling her to get out of the bed, and she wouldn't get out of the bed. So finally, she got up. When she did, all of our cameras were laying underneath her on the sheet. And this policeman, you can imagine. But the guys that did it were nowhere to be found. So we kept looking. So finally, the pastor and the policeman said, here's the thing. There's a bus. There's only one road there. So there's a bus that comes through here. These boys are going to get on that bus, and they're going to town with the rest of what they have. So we stood on the road, and we stopped the first bus that came through. The policeman got on the bus with his gun, and all of a sudden, he spotted these two boys who tried to go out the back of the bus. And so we stopped them. We got them. We brought them out. He handcuffed them together, put them in the van, and he said, I'm going to take you all to the police station. It's about 7 o'clock in the morning now. So it's me, you know, Barney Five, um, <laughs> his pastor, and the two guys that had robbed us. And we're just driving down this road, middle of nowhere. And uh, 
And this policeman and this pastor are giving these boys the what for, you can imagine, in the van. And they're just staring at me. And so we get to the police station. They take them all in. And uh, so I go back to join our team. And um, so we're trying to decide what to do. You know, I've been up all night. Most of them had been. It was a lot, that day was the last night of the revival. And so we had a team meeting. The leader from Green Acres heard about it. They contacted him. He was in country. He came down to meet us. And we all, they said, you know, let's just get y'all out of here. It's been a very traumatic thing. And our team sat together and we said, no, no, we're, we're going to have this meeting tonight. We came here for this many nights. While we're having that meeting, the policeman shows up on a little moped. And he says, well, I hate to tell y'all, the two boys have escaped. We're not sure where they are. I would advise y'all to go on home, to go on back to the Capitol. We all looked at each other and we said, no, we're not going to leave. And so we just had, we just had that moment, y'all, where we felt like this is, this is uh, Satan trying to drive us out of here. So we said, we're going to meet tonight. Well, y'all, the word spread throughout the community that we're having service that night. We low church there and that night, packed. Standing room only. People were sitting, there was one little bitty aisle. People were sitting all on the aisle on top of each other. They had these, these plywood door kind of things on the windows. All those were open. There were vehicles, wagons. People were outside in those windows, sitting in those wagons, scattered out front, gathered all the way out to the road, had everything open so people could hear me. And I preached a sermon on John 3.16. Got to the invitation, nobody came. And we prayed, and finally I said, all right, we're gonna sing one more verse of this song. If nobody comes, we're done. So we started to sing when there was a little boy, little bitty guy named Roger. Hair was combed just perfect. Little white shirt pressed. I mean, his mama had pressed. He was at church, you know. And I saw that little boy stand up, and he just kind of looked at me. And I looked at him. And all of a sudden, he started stepping over people because you, you, there was nowhere to walk. And finally, a couple of the men just picked him up and just passed him one to another. Here comes little old Roger all the way down front. And he looked at me and he said, I want to follow Jesus tonight. I said, okay. So we led little Roger to Christ. First decision in 13 years in that little community. Years later, one of the leaders from that ministry came to me, saw me at a convention somewhere and said, remember that little boy? Came forward that night, and that revival you were preaching down in Belize, I said, you think, I, you think I'd forget it? <laughs> of course I remember it. He said, you know, he's become our evangelist in that whole community. Planted churches, runs a men's ministry. He's become one of the finest Christian leaders we've ever known in that little place in the world. You see, those demonic forces is how I took it. I can still see those guys. You know, dream about it every once in a while. I remember how it felt. I remember the darkness in that room that night. But I also remember the victory of watching that little boy and seeing the brightness on his face. I can still see him. And uh, God used that moment to shape me and remind me. When Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, he meant it. We live in a, in a spiritual world.
And there are forces of darkness at work in this world. Now, they may not manifest themselves as clearly as they did that night in the jungle of Belize, but I can promise you they're there. But I want to encourage you today. The Holy Spirit of God is not intimidated by demonic forces. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not going to cower from them, and he's in you. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus knew these disciples were going to be walking into a really harsh environment. He knew that these disciples were going to face some really, really, really hard times. He knew they were going to be persecuted. You think Jesus didn't know that these men and women, some of them are going to lose their lives because of their commitment to him? Of course. You think Jesus didn't know how intimidating that might be to them? And so Jesus does something incredible at this point in his ministry. You see, some people believe when they study John, they say the whole gospel of John, Jesus is just on trial. He's on trial with the Jews. He's on trial with Satan. He's on trial with demons. And he knows that his followers are going to be on trial as well. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he's not going to leave these followers alone. Now, he's going to leave them physically He's going to ascend to the Father, but he's not going to leave them alone. That's not what's going to happen. That's not the next event on the calendar. No, Jesus is about to initiate something incredible, a whole new era, the age of the Spirit. And so what does he do? Well, he offers a promise, and he promised that the Holy Spirit would be given to us. He says that here in John 14, verse 16. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another Another. In other words, he's already with them. He's going to leave. He's going to give you another advocate, and this one's going to be with you forever. And he says in verse 17, this is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is going to be given to us. And not only that, y'all, I want you to look at verse 17. He lives with you, but he will be in you. And that's the good news today. Because the Spirit of God is with you, but he's also in you. Jesus knows the challenge is going to be great. You can't do this alone. The opposition's powerful. There's too much to face on your own. You live right now, 2023, in a supernatural world, and you need supernatural intervention. And God has provided it through his Spirit. Well, who has he given us? The paraclete. That's what the Greek word is. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes alongside us. We don't know what to do with that word, to be honest with you. That's why so many different translations don't know how to translate that word. Sometimes the, that word is translated the comforter, the counselor. Some translations just say the paraclete, because the Greek word is paraclete, para, which means alongside. Kaleo means to call out. So the paraclete is the one who's been called out alongside of you. God himself has chosen to walk with you, to dwell within you. He's working in the world around you, working alongside you, but he's also within you. So the spirit of God has been given to us. And y'all, what a gift, because the Bible has so much to say about the spirit of God. 
The Spirit of God marks you, seals you into the family of God. The Spirit of God is a down payment, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, guaranteeing your inheritance. Jesus said in John 3, you've got to be born again. You can't just be born of the flesh. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God empowers you. The Spirit of God equips you. The Spirit of God enables you, energizes you. You know, you're able to do things because of the Spirit of God in you. Why, why is it that you care about other people so much as a Christian? Why is it that you feel compelled sometimes to give generously to something? Why is it that there's something at work inside of you that challenges you and motivates you to respond when you see a need? That's the Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus said? You're going to do greater works than me. We read that and we go, wait a minute now. <laughs> Wait, wait, just a minute. How are we going to do that? How many people did Jesus heal when he was on this earth? I don't know, but how many people have been healed by Christians, followers of Jesus, who have followed him with those acts of service and humility? Millions and millions and millions of people have been healed by Christians. That's what Jesus meant. How many people did Jesus serve while he was on earth physically? I don't know, but how many people have Christians served throughout the history of the church? That's what he meant. You're going to do things way beyond your power and your ability and your imagination because the Spirit of God is going to produce fruit in you, character of Christ in you, and he's going to work through you because he's come alongside you. He's the paraclete. What a, what a gift today, y'all. And then I want you to notice something else Jesus said. Wow, peace. Peace. The Holy Spirit brings the peace of Christ. You see what Jesus said in verse 27? I'm not giving you the kind of peace the world gives you. It's flimsy. It's fleeting. I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. I'm going to give you my presence. You're going to be forgiven, redeemed, cleansed, restored, and now my presence in your life and I will bring you peace. And you know what? You need it. Because guess what? In this old world, I'm talking about in this old world, you're gonna face uncertainty. Sometimes you're gonna feel like the ground around you is giving way. You're gonna face transitions in your life that you never asked for. You're going to grieve because if you live long enough, you're going to lose people that you love that are important to you, that mean something to you. And then you're faced, you're left to face the reality of life without them. And it's hard. You're going to face physical challenges. And sometimes the physical challenges that you face will not have any solution this side of heaven. And you're left to deal with the reality of them. You're going to face broken relationships. You're going to get hurt in this old world. But people are going to do things to you. Circumstances around you are going to unfold in such a way that you may be victimized by them. You're going to be betrayed by people sometimes who should have never betrayed you. You're going to be tempted to be angry and rage. You're going to be disappointed in life. 
You're going to have emotional challenges. Here's what I want you to know. Pick any of those. Pick all of those. And I want you to know through the Spirit of Almighty God, the presence of the Lord can bring you peace even in the face of all of that. That's what our God does. I can't explain it to you. I don't understand it. As a matter of fact, Paul said it's beyond comprehension. It's the peace of God which transcends all our understanding. But for some reason, God has chosen himself to bring his peace to you. Hallelujah. And finally, I would say this. The Holy Spirit of God proclaims. I mean, the Holy Spirit's given testimony about Jesus. That's what this text says. Chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he's going to talk about me. He's going to point you to me. He's going to give testimony about me. He's going to proclaim me. You know why? Because, what does the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 12? We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. Oh, Simon Peter jumped out of that boat. Jesus walking on water, y'all remember? And as long as he was looking at Jesus, he could walk on water. And all of a sudden, he turned his gaze to the storm around him. He begins to drown. That's how it works. If you put all your attention and all your energy into your circumstances, you'll, found your, you'll find yourself sometimes drowning in the midst of it. And you and I, however, the Spirit of God will point us to Jesus so we can find the Jesus way in the midst of our calamity. And it's real, y'all. It's not fake. It's not some fly-by-night thing. It's a deep, abiding presence of Almighty God. That's the gift. Jesus said, I'm, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not. And he hasn't left you alone. So this morning, here's what I would say. First of all, acknowledge and embrace the reality of the supernatural in your life. Second of all, be sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the everyday. And give him a chance to minister to you. Because he's there to do just that. Let's pray together. Father, today we, we are grateful for the profound truth that you, you are still at work in this world and it's through the presence of your Holy Spirit that you're making yourself known and that your Spirit is in us. And so right now, Lord, I pray that those, those, that truth will bring comfort to these dear people today. Those that are facing Whatever it is, transition, loss, challenges, brokenness, hurt, pain, I pray for the peace of Christ through your Holy Spirit right now in their souls. May they find it, experience it, and understand its reality. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.